uh, this mystery religion that we talked about uh, so, so in depth. Um, as well, make sure you reference the chart I gave to you, that the handout from, I think, last week or so. Um, and, and those things will help you in your study and your understanding as you see these things. Uh, matter of fact, what I would say is this, the more that you begin to understand and to see uh, the paganism and the idolatry that is in our common culture uh, and popular culture, if you will, the more that you begin to understand the Scripture, the more that you begin to understand what was taking place here at Babel, here in Genesis, and what's going to take place in Revelation with the Antichrist when he comes, uh, the more that your eyes, I believe, will be open to see the things around you, and the more I believe you're going to start to be bothered uh, by these things. Every Christian, truthfully, should be more bothered by the things of the world than we are. I would say this today, as Christians, we often get upset or angry, but I don't think that we get bothered enough. What I mean by that is this, we get reactionary, right? We get angry at something, we get frustrated at something, but to be bothered by something means that you want to do something about it. It means that you're bothered enough to where uh, you, you would go and, and pray about it, that you would uh, seek wisdom from the Lord about it, that you would seek to share the gospel. Uh, that, that, that is what bothered means. I, I believe that we are so unbothered by sin, not merely the sin of the world, but our own sin, that we often uh, fail to remember uh, the, the simple importance of daily walking with the Lord, trusting Him, looking to His Word, and being obedient to His Word in all things. And so tonight, I want us to uh, come back to this, and I, I, don't want us to, um, I don't want us to simply look at the Bible or passages like this as we've studied so in depth and merely take it in as just academic information for us to feel smarter. I want us to see what God is doing and has been doing and will continue to do, and I want us to begin to see with eyes of discernment and eyes of faith that can see what the sort of the future, the distant future holds with the way things are progressing in our own nation, the way that things are progressing in the world, and ultimately to realize and understand that God has told us and given us pictures, especially here and looking in Genesis and with the Tower of Babel, of what things are going to shape up to be. Now I want to read for us verses 1 through 9 tonight. We're going to be picking up in verse number 2. The Bible says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Here's what we're going to be picking up tonight in verse number 2. We're going to be looking at the united place here that takes uh, place. We, we dealt with um, last week, uh, looking at verse number 1, uh, that the united people together there in one language, and now we're getting into this place of where they are. Uh, we, we have to look at this, and I, how many of y'all are interested in geography? I, well, let me ask you this. If you're going on a trip somewhere, how many of you look up how to get there? All right? Now, how many of you look, if you're like me, here's what you do, and I, I get it from my father who got it from his father. What you do is when you're going on a trip, you look at where you're staying on Google Maps, you look at everything that's around it, 
You find coffee shops, you find restaurants, you find grocery stores, you find roads, side roads so that you can avoid traffic and people, right? You do all those things because you want to know, you want to get a lay of the land, right? Uh, now, uh, you might not be to that extreme, right? And so you can save that for, the, for, for people like me, but that's fine. But when we look at the Bible, I believe that it's key and important for us when we come to times, especially in the Old Testament, the New Testament alike for that matter, when we come to names, places, uh, geographical locations, that we spend some time to actually take the time to understand where this is, why it matters, because we see that the Bible is literal, it is historical, it is accurate, this is God's Word, but what you find is that where this speaks about literal historical places is that we are finding them every single day. Uh, archaeologists are digging them up literally day by day, uh, digging them up, finding them, and, and ultimately proving the Bible to be more true than it already is. Even if they did not find one more archaeological site that is found in the Bible, the Bible is still true. So we don't need the archaeological sites to prove the Bible is true. What we do find is that these archaeological sites are proving the existence of what the Bible has said. These places, these people, they existed. Now, here in verse number 2, it says, And it came to pass. So notice, as we talked about last week, I just want to mention here once more. And it came to pass. That's a period of time. How long? I don't know, right? Nobody knows how long this is, but this is clearly some time. Now, in this passing of time, as they journeyed from the east, and we'll get into that in a moment, it really should be the idea of as they journeyed to the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now, as we begin here, I want to look at what Silhammer writes. He says, it is significant that the author orients the story with such geographical details. As early as Genesis 3, the author has shown an interest in marking the directions of travel taken in humankind's search for a home. When the man and his wife were driven from the garden because they had appropriated the knowledge of good and evil for themselves, they were made to settle in a land eastward from the garden, Genesis 3.24. When Cain was cast out of the presence of God because he refused God's instruction, he went to dwell in a land east of Eden. When Lot divided from Abraham and sought for himself a land like the garden of the Lord, he moved toward the east. In light of such intentional uses of the notion of eastward within the Genesis narratives, we can see that here too the author intentionally draws a story of the founding of Babylon into the larger scheme at work throughout the book. Here's what we find is that thus far in the book of Genesis is that this idea of journeying eastward, it is an idea of journeying away from God's presence. It is the idea of journeying away from uh, the, the work of God, the, even the will of God is the idea, and even the people of God. It, it is the idea of going out and, and establishing your own. Uh, we see many of the folks of Eastern cultures today, and let's think about this. What we've already dealt with the past few weeks, looking at the Babylonian mystery religion as we covered here, uh, dealing with the, the people of Babylon, what they would have believed in practice, and what we see as that is traced throughout all the major religions of the day, except for biblical Christianity, what we find is this. The vast majority of that spiritual Babylon, where is it located? Much so in the east. Much of the, the issues of our day and much of the spiritual issues of our day are coming from the east. We think of the, the rise of Islam that has come about. We think of even coming from the east and the eastern splits of the Catholicism that took place. We think as well of the... Um, of Eastern mysticism, dealing with a lot of the stuff of Buddhism and Hinduism together, and this melding uh, and melting together, this melting pot of all these religions and faiths to bring about what we would call uh, spiritual Babylon or mystery uh, religion. And so as we look here, we find that God does this for a reason. This is not merely just telling us about the location or merely, merely telling us about where they are traveling. 
but it gives us even the notion of as to why. Now, with this, Sorensen writes, the reference to journeying from the east could also be rendered as journeying to the east. Neither the preposition from or to is present in the Hebrew text. Now, we've got to understand here, the Bible was not written in English, let alone in King James English. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. So we've got to understand that's what they spoke, and the way in which it is written and taught uh, is a lot different. So what has happened throughout the translations is that they've had to look and go, all right, we've got to put a preposition here, like we speak uh, from, to, by, which, things like that. And so this is what has happened. So here in our translation, what we've got is journeyed from the east, but let's, let's think this through here. When the ark lands on the top of the mountains, what mountains do they land on? Ararat, all right. Does anyone know where that is today? Modern-day Turkey. So here, here's what we've got to see. So in modern-day Turkey, all right, where, where are they going from there? Well, to journey from the east, well, if they were journeying from the east, what does that sound like? It sounds like they're going west. But if you go west from Turkey, you know where you don't end up? Israel, let alone the Middle East, right? You start heading towards Europe. So here's what we've got to understand. Uh, this journey to, as Sorensen writes, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat, which is in northeastern Turkey. Shinar is another name for, the, for Chaldea, or its later name, Babylon. Shinar is on an east, uh, southeasterly bearing from Ararat. Uh, the, uh, the they undoubtedly is the total families of, uh, of Noah and his descendants. So here's what we find is that these folks, as they journeyed, right, these descendants of chapter 10, if you will, they begin to make their way eastward. They're looking for a land to settle and to establish. Now, what had God told Noah uh, in, the, in the Noahic covenant? Right? Not only had he said what we often, well, the first thing we think of is, I'm not going to destroy the world by uh, flood again. Now, that's true. But what else does he tell Noah? He says, go, uh, multiply, and go out to the whole world. Now, what does the whole world mean? It means the whole world. It means go everywhere. Uh, populate the entirety of the earth itself. Now, this is going to take place here, and this is, this is kind of important if we understand this. Throughout the rest of the book of Genesis, we're going to see many folks who are sojourning, right? We've heard that word, or pilgriming. Uh, they are journey, taking a journey to find a new homeland. Now, with this, we're going to see this happen with Abraham and Lot. We're going to see Isaac and Jacob. We're going to see uh, the descendants of Jacob, his sons. We're going to find the Egyptians. We're going to see a whole bunch of people who are journeying to find a place that is suitable, not merely to live and exist, but a place to call their home. Now, the vast majority of the reason why many wars take place, even yet still today, is over land, usable land, land that is profitable. Let's think about this. Do you know why we didn't just stay on the East Coast with 13 colonies? Because we said, there's more land that way, right? So let's send some folks out there. So we send Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea out there. They start going. They're going. They're, they're canoeing along. They're hiking, right? They're fighting bears, right? They're fighting Indians. They're, they're doing all kinds of stuff. And then where do they make it? All the way to the West Coast. We find out there's a whole lot more land, and then we start finding out there's a whole lot more uh, offered and available. And so now we start going and we start taking it. Well, this is nothing new, is it? This has been going on from the very beginning of time. And so they're seeking power. They're seeking geographical location that they can thrive in, that they can pass along to their children and to their children's children for generations. And now with this, the land chosen 
by these people here in verse number two, as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Here's the idea. They go, they look, like, this is nice. It's got everything we need, right? They, they stick the flag in the ground. They stick their tents in the ground. They go, this is going to be home. And so this is what they do. They make this place their home. The land chosen falls in what is referred to as the Fertile Crescent. How many of you have ever heard of the Fertile Crescent before? All right, a couple of you. All right. So the Fertile Crescent, which is a land spanning from modern-day Israel. All right, so you got Israel right here. Let me go on this side, all right? Israel, Fertile Crescent going up here and then up and over and then down this way. Where does it end up at? It goes eastward through southeastern Iraq. Now, how many of you, during the time that we were fighting in Iraq, ever thought, that is a beautiful place? What a fruitful place. What a fertile place. No, none of us thought that, right? Here's what we've got to understand. At this point in time, the Fertile Crescent was absolutely key and critical. This is why Israel and its geographical location is of so much importance. If you look at Israel, what is con- Israel is the connection between Africa, the Middle East, or Asia, and Europe. That's pretty important, isn't it? Right? And this is why it's going to play all the more important of a role in the end times. That's why Israel is the central point and focus in the end times, not America or Canada or other nations. It is centered around Israel, God's chosen people. They're in that chosen land. That is the very same land of which Christ said that he will return to. Now, with this, what we see is that this fertile place uh, is a natural place where you're going to want to, to live. Think about this. Long before you and I could just call up a realtor and go, hey, I'm looking for a home. I want to be three-bedroom, two-bath, maybe a garage, no basement. I don't want any stairs. Uh, I, I'd like a fenced-in backyard. We can give all these details and talk about all these things that we want to live in, right? Well, at this time, and even up to about 100 years ago, or even less, Here's what you needed and what you were looking for. Can I grow food? Can I drink water? Can I put something and make a house that's not going to crumble or be flooded? All right. If I meet those three things, then that, that's a perfect place to go home. Here at the Fertile Crescent, it is all that and then some. Uh, and so what we find is as they uh, plant themselves and make themselves at home, we find that ancient Babel has been located. Now, it has been located and somewhat refurbished. It lies about 50 miles south of Baghdad, which you've all heard of Baghdad. So about 50 miles south of Baghdad, they have even rebuilt another tower. Now, we'll de- details about the tower will be discussed later on, but if you don't believe me, and how many of y'all believe me? Okay, well, that's all right. You don't have to say if you do or not. I encourage you, uh, one of the easiest things you can do, if you type in modern-day Babel into Google Images, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a map. It's going to take you about 50 miles south of Baghdad, and there's going to be a place that says Ancient Babel. And so they have recreated and refurbished much of what they have dug up, now much of which we have to understand, many archaeological findings and things, uh, they have found some things, but the things don't stay intact, right? Think about this. If you've ever been to Jamestown or somewhere like that, what you're looking at is sort of a recreation of what was there. There's bits and pieces, and there's some knowledge about what it looked like, But nevertheless, that area is about where it would have been. Now, it's a key and critical point because what we find is that it is right along a river. So they've got got water for for drinking, for um, irrigating their crops. Uh, They are at a place that is fertile. They are at a place that is defendable. Uh, They are at a place uh, that they can make uh, a central point in human history to uh, be the, the chief empire is their goal and their desire. 
Now, we have to remember this as well as we move forward into this, that Babel is not merely going to be a, a literal, physical, geographical location, but a spiritual ideology and theology. So they are establishing a place, and they're going to be united in that place together to go, this will be Babel. This is where we're going to make our stand, if you will, against God, against His rule, against all that He had just promised and covenanted to our forefathers. That is what's taking place here. Now, the united plan that we see here in verse number 3. Now, notice this. It's often difficult when you get a group of people to get them all to agree to something, isn't it? Uh, and so, what, if you can get all the people to agree, well, in order normally to get people to agree and be united together, you need someone who is a unifier. You need the speaker. You need the leader. You need the leadership, right? And here's what we see is that Nimrod would be that unifier. And so in so doing, he's able to lead forth this plan. Now, what's the plan? Here's verse number three. It tells us their plan. Not merely do they want to set up shop here and live, grow some crops, make some babies, and, and live a good life, uh, make, a, make a nice house, picket fence, right? I don't think they had picket fences then, but nevertheless, they're not merely looking to survive. It says in verse number three, they said one to another, Go to and let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And then he says in verse number four, we'll, we'll get into that in just a moment as well, but a little bit to help us here about this plan of theirs. Let us build us a city and a tower. Now, when you think of a city, do you think of Hillsville or do you think of something big like Galax or Dugspur, right? Right, you think of something big, don't you? Right, you think of, right, uh, when I think of... Uh, of a city. The first real city I ever lived in was when I went to college in Winston-Salem. Now, Winston isn't the biggest, but coming from the small, you know, my, my town growing up was maybe about the size of Galax, so coming to Winston to live in the downtown middle of it on campus, I'm going, man, this is huge. And then the people that are from there are going, oh, this isn't big at all. This is a small city. This is a small town. Like, this is a small town. Are you kidding me? you got two Sam's Club, multiple Walmart. That's not a small town. That's a big town. That's a city, right? Now, we've got bigger cities than Winston-Salem, don't we, right? You can go on down the road. You can find Charlotte and Raleigh and a, and a multitude of others, right? Now, nevertheless, when you think of a city, you're thinking about big population, lots of buildings, lots of commerce, lots of civilization is what you're thinking of. As a matter of fact, uh, the thing that came in I often say is when we come back in Hillsville, we go, ah, civilization. Right, because it's actually civil here, right? Now, a lot of people, when they go to a city, they go, ah, civilization. Look at all the people, and you hear screaming and crying and gunshots and car horns. That sounds wonderful and peaceful, doesn't it? No, I'll take the crickets, I'll take the toads, right? I'll take the birds any day, right? Now, with all this, we look at their plan, and their plan begins to unfold here. It is not merely to make a place to live, but it is going to be a city for them to be the epicenter of all of human civilization, trade, and thought. Now, if we understand this, right, if you study history, every empire, including America for that matter, that has ever existed, you want to know what their goal is? To be the central point of thought, education, culture, ideas, politics, trade, commerce of all kinds. Now, America has been that for quite some time. But before America was, you know who was? The people we beat, right? No, 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 boo-boo, right? <laughs> How's that tea in the harbor taste, right? right? But it was them, wasn't it? And it was them, and it was France, and it was several others. And we find that you go back further, then we see empire after empire. And then, of course, looking here, we're going to see throughout the Bible, 
Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans, right? We see all these empires, and what is their focus? It is not merely to be a people that lives in civil harmony and union together, but rather one that seeks world domination of all thought, culture, literature, morality. They want to be the center of everything. Sounds like pride, doesn't it? Now, he says here, as we look at this, that under Nimrod, a plan is put together to build a civilization against God in this land. You say, how can we go ahead and make that statement? Well, we've already talked about their religion. We've already talked about their beliefs, their practices. But we also see that even in verse 4, they talk about this, whose top may reach unto heaven. Now, we'll deal with that in a little bit. The idea is not we're going to build a tower so big that it goes up into heaven. Mankind, even at this point, we often think, because we've been taught this by culture, uh, by uh, movies, even the educational system, that during this time, everyone is just a bunch of Neanderthal knuckle-draggers, right? That's not the case here. Remember that for about 2,000 years before the flood occurs, what takes place? They build civilizations. They're growing. uh, We see in Genesis chapter 4, they are not only just craftsmen and creating things that make their life easier, but they're even crafting musical instruments for their enjoyment. So they have arts, literature, culture, uh, uh, finance, commerce. They've got it all, right? Much of like modern civilization today, it just would have looked uh, a lot different then. And we have to remember as well that there is much lost to history. Now, as we look here, we find that Nimrod is leading the way to unite all things under his authority. He's not seeking to go, hey, let's all gather together and let's be under God's authority, but rather let's all gather together and be under my authority. You'll listen to me and I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll meet your needs. Now, this is what uh, uh, the pharaohs of Egypt are going to say. This is what uh, a man like Nebuchadnezzar is going to say. This is what the Caesars of Rome are going to say. Every one of them. I've got the answer. I've got the answer. This is what the Antichrist is going to say. Oh, there's war. There's famine. There's difficulty. I've got the answer. And everyone will go, yeah, that sounds good to me. Now, this is what takes place here. So Nimrod is leading the way. There's one language, one people, one place, one plan, one purpose, one political, social, and religious program all under one ruler. Now, I would agree with this, and I'm sure that you would as well. It would be nice if we could have a unity under one political, social, religious program, and it would be under Christ. It would be under His Word. That sounds wonderful. However, it's not going to happen until Christ comes. And even then, there will be those that rebel, and this is why He will rule and reign with a rod of iron, and that you and I will be a part of those who judge the nations and the earth and will rule with Him. Now, the plan here is to build together a society literally brick by brick. Now, what is so interesting here is that you and I who are in little old Hillsville, right? Carroll County, we, we normally don't think a whole lot about big cities, right? But here's what's interesting. Being a city does not necessarily mean a bad thing. Now, now follow me here. You and I normally think of city and we go, bad thing, right? Crime, this, that, and the other, what have you. Do you know what ultimately every believer will live in one day? The city of New Jerusalem. 
Now, with that in mind, what do we find Abraham was doing? What was Abraham doing? Hebrews tells us that he was looking for a city. He wasn't looking for a land. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. So what do we find here? Nimrod, the Babylonian people here, those who practice this mystery religion, they as well are looking for a city whose builder and maker is man who will go against God. They are not looking for a city and a civilization and a society to be built upon God's law or God's presence or God's authority, but rather to build a society and a people that is actually contrary and against and rebellion to God's rule and authority and power and and desire for man. Sounds very familiar today, doesn't it? And it unfortunately sounds so much like our current political climate, not merely here in America, but throughout the world, by the way. And this is why we find and should be quite concerned with the mass amount of unification of the global leadership and political and economic and social systems and constructs. It should alarm us a little bit uh, because what we find is that this unification is ultimately going to bring about the Antichrist who will be the unifier of all these uh, wicked nations and wicked people who will go and follow him. They will ultimately be a society, a world society, a world religion, a world political socioeconomic system that is against God's authority. Now, one commentator writes, using baked bricks and asphalt for mortar, men built a tower that was both strong and waterproof, even as Noah used the same material in waterproofing the ark. Genesis 6.14. Later, Moses' mother used the same material in waterproofing Moses' basket, Exodus 2.3. Archaeologically, this has been proven to be accurate and common in that era and location. This was common. They knew how to make things. They knew how to waterproof things. They knew how to make all sorts of things. These things have been passed on. Now, I would say this, and would would be safe to say this, whatever we know, right, how to craft things, make things, you either learned it on your own or you learned it from someone or something. And if you learned it on your own, you probably learned it on your own either one from trial and error or from watching someone's trial and error. But nevertheless, what we find is that tips and tricks and, and, and craftsmanship has been passed on from generation to generation, ultimately always seeking for a better and easier and more sustainable life for the next generation. And so what has been seen here is that these folks, like others before the flood and certainly many after the flood, uh, are seeking a life of ease. You want to know why we love refrigerators, washing machines? Life of ease. Now you say, well, preacher, I don't have a life of ease. Well, neither do I, but those things make life a whole lot easier, don't they? Right? I think about the hardest worker we got in our home besides my wife would be our washing machine or our refrigerator. Those things work all the time. Now, here's, here's what we've got to understand is that we enjoy these things because they make life easier. They're looking for a society that is one of ease. Ultimately, this is the downfall of every society, though, isn't it? What we find is that this is ultimately the downfall of every empire when we begin to seek pleasure and rest and ease. We are slowly lulled asleep We slowly lose craftsmanship. We lose manhood and womanhood. We lose the family. We lose a society and a culture that is founded upon actually creating and doing something. Right now, we live in a world that has technology that has taken over for everything. And so we believe that we are smart, but we're only smart enough to open up Google, type in a question, receive the answer, and then come to whatever conclusion 
uh, based upon whoever paid the most advertisement to have their answer at the top of the Google page. And we call ourselves smart, intelligent, wise, uh, more accessible to knowledge than ever before, and yet look at where we are as a society. Are we truly better for it? I would say no. Now with this understanding of what they make and build these things out of, here looking at verse 3 and 4, we're going to see here, as Sorensen writes, it's, it's quite lengthy, but I believe it's helpful for us tonight. The phrase go to used twice here in verse number four is translated from the Hebrew word yahab and has the idiomatic sense of come or come on, right? Now, let me pause there for a moment. If you were trying to gather people around, hey, come on, come on, guys, right? Gather around, right? That's the idea of what's taking place here. Let us. This is a rallying cry. This is a unifying cry of the people to bring them together. In essence, the world community called out amongst themselves to come together. Come on, let us build us a city. Now, notice this. Some of the most popular songs that have ever been written are unifying cries for everybody to come together, right? Uh, Let's give peace a chance. Uh, We are the world, right? We are the the whole thing, right? This unifying thing to bring everybody together. One, here's what we see here. As they call themselves together, come on, let us build us a city. A number of comments beg here here to be made. One, it is evident no seeking of God's will in the matter was sought. To the contrary, their plan was in direct rebellion to God's will. You can look at chapter 9, verse 1. You see that God had said for them to disperse. And said, what do they do? They all come, they find a nice place, and they dwelt there. They said, this is it. This is the spot. There's no better spot than this, so we're not even going to try. There's no prayer. There's no seeking God. There's no calling upon the name of the Lord. There's certainly no obeying the covenant of which they had been passed down and have heard about. Number two, rather it seems that they had in mind to reach heaven on their own terms and through their own ability. In retrospect, their project was absurd, thinking they could build a tower high enough to reach heaven about in God. Nevertheless, human schemes of religion down through the ages are just as absurd. As we've talked about the past few weeks, the absurdity of mystery religion and false religion and everything that is not wrapped up in the umbrella of biblical Christianity today. Number three, the pride of life is evident. They sought to make a name for themselves. You notice that. Let us make us a name. Now, this is important because a name shows character, shows authority, shows worth, shows value, right? Now, not so much in today's world, but with them and with the Lord, what do we find? God's name means everything. And there is no name that is to be as lifted as high as God's name. There is no name that is, that is as high of worthiness as God's name. And we see that there is no other name that has been given among men, whereby we must be saved only through Jesus Christ. His name. We sing songs. His name is wonderful. Right? And so we see that there is a great difference here. And what do they say? Let us make us a name. That's a fancy way of saying this. We're going to be somebody. We want to be important. We want to be remembered. We want to be legendary. We want to be having our name and our lineage known throughout all the ages. Well, sadly, they will be known throughout all the ages, but not for anything good. He goes on, number four, The first organized attempt for a one-world system was launched. As has been the case down through the ages, God was left out. 
The essence of humanism is evident, going about to accomplish a human plan, ignoring God all the while. In any event, God was not ready to allow such an attempt. That fullness of time was not yet ready. The ultimate one world government will be when Jesus Christ returns and establishes his kingdom on this earth. Other points of interest are five. The phrase, go to, as noted above, it for all practical purposes could be rendered as, come on, let us make brick, etc. Six, the primary building material was some sort of brick, which evidently was fired in kilns. The slime mentioned was a sort of asphalt or tar. Seven, towers, ziggurats, or pyramids were not uncommon structures in the civilization after the flood. They usually were built on high places for idolatrous altars. However, this project seemed to be a direct challenge to God in an organized effort of collective human endeavor. Now, here's what we've got to understand. As we've said before, this tower is not talking about what we think about skyscrapers or um, leaning tower of pizza, right? No, we're talking about a pyramid. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I would warn you, first of all, about staying up too late watching the History Channel, all right? You're going to see some crazy stuff, all right? You get between that 11 o'clock and 2 o'clock in the morning uh, section and the History Channel, and you're going to see a crazy dude with big, crazy hair, and he's talking about aliens, all right? Now, nevertheless, you can get some good stuff on History Channel, Discovery Channel. There's been a lot of great documentaries that have come out in recent time. One, I believe, was on either Netflix or Hulu or something like that. Uh, I think a couple have been on Amazon Prime. But one of which that I watched fairly recently dealt with uh, this man who was seeking these collapsed civilizations, right? Now, I believe that we've seen many collapsed civilizations throughout the world. That's a part of world history. Uh, civilizations rise, and they always inevitably fall. Now, here's what's been so interesting, is that this man has seen and documented and is well known today. It is not denied whatsoever that there are pyramids. When you think of pyramids, what's the first place that you think of? There you go. All right, see, Egypt. But was that where the first pyramid was? No, it's right here. And then as everyone is dispersed, what do you think they carry with them? Pyramids. Why? As Sorensen talked about, they served a religious purpose. They would be built on high places. So first of all, they did serve a religious purpose in the sense that they would do sacrifice there. Oftentimes human sacrifice, child sacrifice. Uh, not just that of, of, uh, of animals, but uh, human sacrifices to their gods and goddesses. Ultimately, as we found that all their gods and goddesses are one and the same. They are worshiping the devil. They are worshiping themselves. They are going back and worshiping Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. As we talked about, just the same mystery religion, but it's just changed throughout different names and locations. This is why every pagan religion today is the same thing with a different name of god or goddess or practice, right? Same thing. But as you notice, as they go about, they, they go about with these pyramids for the religious purposes, but what else were pyramids used for? They were not only used for religious ceremonies. They, I will say this. They were, first of all, they were not used for decorations merely, okay? They weren't merely meant to look, oh, hey, look, look how good that looks. That's nice. They were also used for um, locations of the stars and uh, figuring out distance of, of seas, uh, times and seasons and, and rotation of the, of the planets. And we have to remember this, that we think that the calendar has only existed as long as we've been alive, but the calendars have been around for a long time. As long as mankind has been able to use logic and math and the gifts of which God has already given uh, mankind in His uh, creation, he's been able to look up into the stars and naturally he does a couple things. One, he begins to wonder. 
What is out there? Why am I here? Uh, what's the meaning of all this? How many stars are there? Can I count them all? And of course, man quickly finds out uh, the, uh, the answer to most of those questions. But then man has begun to do something else. What does man continue to do? Man uses the stars and uh, judges the seasons and the times. Think about this. The stars that you see in the summertime are not the same that you might see constellation-wise, right? Summer, winter, spring, fall. And so these things change. Now, the issue with this, that if you open up your, uh, uh, what is it, Galax Gazette, and with got all the coupons and the ads in it, you turn to the very back. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find your horoscopes. You're going to find stuff that is based upon the stars and it's somehow going to tell you about your life for that day. You know what? Save yourself. Save yourself that. Just call me and I'll tell you what your day is going to be like. All right? Because you've got just as good of a chance. I've got just as good of a chance of guessing what your day is going to be like. That's all it is about. Now, we've got to remember this, that as we see these pyramids, if you look and you trace the pyramids throughout the world, and by the way, we have them in America. North America, Central America, there's uh, one of them. If you take a cruise to Mexico or you go on an excursion on that cruise or if you're at a resort somewhere, right, uh, you can go to one of the most famous pyramids in all of the world there in Mexico. Uh, matter of fact, there was a video not too long ago. Someone had trespassed on it and was, had climbed up it and you're not supposed to and all that stuff. Uh, these Mayan and Incan ruins and things. Uh, so you go, they're here, they're in North America, there's some in uh, Louisiana, there's some in the Midwest. You say, well, why would they be there? Because pagan people were here long before we were here. Well, we think the Native Americans, they were a pagan people. They practiced mystery religion. They worshiped the sun and the moon and the stars, just like the Babylonians here. But they made pyramids, they made these high places. Think about this. Uh, with these pyramids being lined up, and many of them have been found to be lined up with specific dates of the year with either a sunrise or a sunset. Now, those high places or those high days that they would have, what would they do on those days? They would have a specific sacrifice. Uh, it would be much like for the Jews, they have a day of atonement. They have different certain feasts throughout the year. Let's take our, our holidays, for example. Christmas. Easter, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July, right? You just take those four, right? That's the big four anyways, I guess. And what do we have? We have certain uh, decorations that we bring out for those days. We have certain foods that we eat on those, some days. All right, how many of y'all for Thanksgiving, a couple months away, uh, you've got, let, let me guess, uh, uh, do you have turkey on your menu maybe? Or do you have hot dogs? Are you sure? When do you have hot dogs? Fourth of July, you don't have turkey for Fourth of July. You have hot dogs. Now, there's turkey in it, and there's other stuff in the hot dog, but you're having a hot dog, ain't you? Right? Now, think about this. Throughout the, the rest of the holidays, we see that there's differences of the times and seasons, but the pyramids were there and used, and many of which are still using these sorts of things today. And the religious ceremonies, pagan ceremonies, ultimately in a practice and continuation of this paganism, this mystery religion. Now, what is interesting is with verse number 3, the brick for stone and slime they had for mortar, what seems to be implied is that they did not believe in the covenant that God gave to Noah. Clearly they didn't because they disregard it and they disobey it, but it seems that they are building things to be waterproof so that if another worldwide flood were to occur, they would be able to survive by their own power. Here's the plan. We're going to make us a city. We're going to make us a name. We're going to build us a society, a civilization that is against God. Let him bring the rain. Let him bring the flood. 
and we will not be moved. What arrogance. What pride. What sinfulness. But yet it's much the same in modern day society, is it not? Here's what we see as it happens later on in the Old Testament. This sort of pride of going, you know what? We'll build and we'll rebuild and then we'll build stronger and taller just to defy. Ultimately, here what they are doing is seeking not to merely defy Noah. No, but they're seeking to defy the God of Noah. They are seeking to defy the God of the covenant, the God who brought the flood, the God who will judge. Verse number 4, and we'll, we'll bring this to an end tonight. We find a united purpose here, as we've seen already touching in, in some of 3 and 4. They purpose themselves to build a place of rebellion and religious significance that would unite the people in idolatry against God. Phillips writes, The idea was not to build a tower so tall that it would reach to heaven, but to build a tower topped by the heavens, that is, by the signs of the zodiac, astronomical and astrological data were to be associated with that tower, God was not in their thoughts at all. Stargazing and occultism were to be the features of their religious system. Again, the whole thing looks ahead to the last world empire, which will bear the same hallmarks. Let me pause there for a moment. You ever wonder why there's such a rise and an interest of the stellars and of the galaxies and of where we came from and the planets and the, the stars and the things of outer space? How about this? You ever wonder why there's such an interest right now in aliens, extraterrestrials, flying saucers. This would be why. Furthermore, what we see is that the desire is to glorify man and degrade the name of God by rebelling against His authority, covenant, and commands. By the way, that's the goal of sin. That's the goal of the flesh. Our fleshly nature seeks to lift up our name, which is our own character, our own self-worth, and at the same time, when we are doing that, we are putting down God's name. So when we are focused more on building our own society, building our own name, right? Building our own worth, our own legacy, we are seeking to lower God's down so that we could be higher. That's a dangerous game to play. Now, they did not want to be separated, but rather they wanted to be united together in all facets of life. Now, that sounds nice, doesn't it? But not when we really look a little bit deeper. You don't have to take but a shovel to go shovel deep down and to realize, whoa, this is ugly. This is idolatrous. This is rebellious against God. Commentary writes, the real motive, therefore, was the desire for renown. And the object was to establish a noted central point which might serve to maintain their unity. The one was just as ungodly as the other, for according to the divine purpose, men were to fill the earth, to spread over the whole earth, not indeed to separate but to maintain their inward unity, notwithstanding their dispersion. Mankind was meant to be united, but to be united under God's authority and rule. To be united together in obeying God's authority and rule. This reminds us, reminds me, and, and, and we'll be done. Turn back with me to chapter number 6 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 4. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were, men, which were of old men of renown. These were wicked men. These were early kings. 
conquerors. These are men like Nimrod who were mighty warriors. Literally bigger and stronger giants in those days. They were worshipped as gods. They were those who had taken authority and control and position. They were men of renown. They were known for being godlike. They were not godlike, were they? No, the idea is that they were superhuman and they were worshipped as gods. And this is what happens with Nimrod and the people of Babel. But here's what we find. And this is how we close. Before the flood, mankind seeks to build their own society and civilization and is built around their own name, their own renown, their own legacy, their own skill, their own authority, their own power. And After the flood, the same sin causes man to do the same thing. As we also aptly agreed to several weeks ago, what else got off the boat with Noah, his family, and the animals? Sin. And that sin leads us to Babel, and that sin leads us to where we are today, and that sinful lineage leads us all the way to the man of sin and lawlessness, the man of perdition, the Antichrist, who will come to unify. So I would say be very careful today and Get those antennas up when you begin to hear people say, I want world peace. I want to bring in world peace. I've got the answers. Be careful. What we find is that ultimately the only one that has the answer, the only one that has the authority, the only one that should have the power, the only one that ultimately does have the power is God alone. You and I are meant to be united together under His rule and His authority. So may we decide to do that as a church not to seek to build our name or that the name of Victory Way would be one of renown. As a matter of fact, the name Victory Way could be forgotten and the name Pastor Joe could be forgotten and your name could be forgotten, but the name of Jesus Christ must reign supreme. It is His name that we build our society upon. It is His name that we build our life upon. In our homes, in our workplaces, it should be the very basis of our character and every decision in life is built around knowing Jesus Christ and making Him known. Tonight, may we see the vast difference between what the people of Babel did compared to what God desires. And may we seek what the Lord desires above all things. Let us pray. Father, we come to You this night. We want to thank You for Your Word. Grateful that we could study it. Lord, while we see such wickedness of the people of Babel and such rebellion, Lord, we're as well reminded of the rebellious nature of our own flesh as individuals. We're also reminded, God, of the world of which we live in that seems to be headed down this road all the more day by day, seemingly going faster and faster to a day uh, that is a, a people united, a world united against You. Father, we pray that in these dark days that we would be light. We pray that in these days that we would be salt and light to the world, uh, that we would preach the Gospel, that we would uh, live according to Your Word, that that Your name would be the basis of our entire life, every decision we make, every place that we go, every thought that we think, every ministry of this church. Lord, that it would be Your name that would be glorified and known. It would be that of renown. Lord, help us to not make much of ourselves, but to simply make much of You. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to remind any seniors who have not...